Blog Talk Radio. Leaders like Hillary Clinton, who has the guts and the grace to keep coming back and putting those cracks in that highest and hardest glass ceiling until she finally breaks through, lifting all of us along with her. That is the story of this country, the story that has brought me to the stage tonight, the story of generations of people who felt the lash of bondage, the shame of servitude, the sting of segregation, but who kept on striving and hoping and doing what needed to be done so that today I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. And I watch my daughters, two beautiful, intelligent black young women, playing with their dogs on the White House lawn. And, be- and because of Hillary Clinton, my daughter and all our sons and daughters now take for granted that a woman can be president of the United States. So look, so don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great. We need to make it great again, because this right now is the greatest country on earth. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America and all of our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, and I'll tell you what, TNT had a show called The Closer, but I guarantee you tonight it has nothing to do with that. We spotlight Michelle Obama. What is she known as? The Closer. Tonight we take a look at First Lady Michelle Obama. Folks, hang on to your seats. Spotlight kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. Lisa is off tonight. And ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it, Michelle Obama, I tell you what, she is one of the most popular first ladies in the history of this country, and they call her the closer because she knows how to close a campaign. She is a leader. She is an example of a lot of things and an inspiration to a lot of people And tonight, we're going to dig into the accomplishments, the efforts of First Lady Michelle Obama. Before we get there, uh, William, the disclaimer for our listeners, please. Yes, we are not attorneys, and a just cause does not provide legal advice. Please contact your personal legal advisor for your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. As always, thank you for tuning in and choosing to spend time with us this evening. And thank you for that, William. And, uh, again, as we get ready to – this is going to be a treat, folks. Uh, 
Michelle Obama, I'll tell you what, doing this show and researching her and her life, her as a mother, a wife, um, a humanitarian, really, and trying to in, in, institute a lot of change uh, in this country. We're going to be playing some clips from the DNC, uh, the, the uh, Democratic National Convention, where she gave a compelling uh, speech, if you will. And I'll tell you what, it moved a lot of people, and she is so well-liked and so well-respected. I'll tell you what, when she begins to speak, people listen. And I think there's a lot of things that our first ladies uh, in the history of this country have done. I don't think they get enough credit. Dennis, as we talk about all that's involved, the sacrifices that are, are done, um, and all the things that are made, really sacrifices that are made uh, as the president of holding that most powerful position in the land, uh, there's a lot asked of the first lady. Oh, no uh, and doubt. the children as well. I don't think we did. I don't think we focus on that enough, Dennis. Your thoughts on that? And no doubt, it's true because uh, the uh, first lady does a lot. I mean, especially with uh, you know outreach, uh, reaching children, uh, families, and uh, uh, she's really into to our veterans. And I tell you, uh, it takes a it takes someone that's willing to understand that that, that her husband, the president, has a, has a, a, a serious job. And she has to be there to support him and then to take some of the tasks that he, he would normally do and do them for herself. And has proven in that position a true woman of class. Awesome. Elegance. I'll tell you, I mean, she fits the mold in every part and is an excellent speaker and a motivator uh, of a lot of people. And I have a great deal of respect for uh, First Lady Michelle Obama. We're going to be digging into her life. Uh, some of the sacrifices that I made, you're going to hear some clips from Michelle Obama uh, some of the things that she has done. And really, when you see President Obama and Michelle, uh, they should be called America's first couple uh, because uh, they, they have such things. They really show their affection and love to each other. Uh, and it's self-evident. You don't have to wonder, man, is this some front? They really seem to really affectionately care for one another. And the, the sacrifices and the love for their children. I'll tell you what, you got a good example there uh, for people to look up to, William. Your thoughts as we talk about uh, First Lady Michelle Obama. Well, I think you said a lot uh, that that really reflects, you know, who she is, her character, her persona, uh, the class, the elegance that she carries. But I think the thing that does stand out to me is, is she's extremely supportive. She's been supportive of her husband, um, you know, there with 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 him, you know, the the emotion, them looking at each other, uh, expressing their affection and support for one another. It's it's a lot. I tell you, you you really. You uh, really admire them as a couple and how they've, they've really moved into this office almost together. You know, they really looked at the presidency as as it is a union of them, too. You know, how they how they work together. So I, I really I really respect it. No, absolutely. And Cliff, as we talk about uh, again, we did a show a few weeks ago on President Obama mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of things going on there with uh, President Obama and the pressure, the things you got to have a strong woman by your side in cases. Uh, like that, and I'll tell you what, uh, she's got to be the, the strength behind those doors that only we can imagine. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at uh, Michelle Obama, uh, not only, I mean, she's a tall woman, 5'11", but she she has the, uh, just the characters of a strong woman, and, and you know, you look at everything that she does, uh, it, it always goes back to public service, um, you know, from the time when, you know, the first, the first year that President Obama was in office, uh, she and he went and volunteered at homeless shelters, you know, serving people, 
uh, food at the homeless shelter, just saying, hey, you know, we started in community service back in Chicago. This is what we're about. It's about service to the community. And as the president of the United States, you know there has to be a, uh, a strong woman behind uh, all of that, behind the scenes, taking care of the family, taking care of the house, and uh, just being there as a, as a pillar of strength for the president and everything that he has to endure as the first uh, black or African-American president of the United States. No, absolutely. And this is going to be a treat, ladies and gentlemen. Feel free to dial in and call in to the program tonight. That number is 319-527-6216. 319-527-6216. Feel free to call in. We'd love to hear your comments on the first lady uh, and what your thoughts of is the impact that she's had on this nation. And she's had a big one. Um, and uh, this is going to be, again, real, real good. Feel free to call in, tell your friends and family, hey, jump on the phone. Uh, AJC Radio takes a moment to spotlight and to honor uh, First Lady Michelle Obama. And uh, going to some current news right now, before we get into that, uh, we understand all of the things that are going on in the news with the shootings. Uh, there are questionable things now in North Carolina with that shooting is in, uh, in that situation where the chief of police said there was no definite evidence that the gentleman was actually pointing a gun at anyone. Uh, and this is uh, me and Cliff were talking about this prior to the show. We talk about open carry. And if a state is an open carry state, I have a right to openly carry my weapon. So what is mind-boggling to me every case that we see well did he have a gun well if it's an open carry state now you tell me legally i have the right to carry a gun i have a right but now if i see a gun as an officer i can shoot you dead because i can claim i felt threatened for my life well why do you have the law on the books that i can carry a gun openly but then i got to be scared and cliff to your point if i hide the gun i don't have a concealment permit if i hide it so if i put the gun away i'm going to be charged with something if i leave it out in the open that's what i'm allowed to do but i could i could lose my life because of it can somebody explain that to me and the logic that goes with that and i mean when you look at the definition of open carry this is the united states definition of open carry as it uh as it uh you know pertains to a firearm open carry refers to the practice of openly carrying a fire alarm a firearm in public as distinguished from concealed carry where firearms cannot be seen by the casual observer so open carry says you are in public with your firearm being shown if you are in an open carry state, there is nothing wrong with you carrying a gun in, in public. Unless you're you, black. <laughs> well, yeah, apparently. Yeah, that's there, hey, there is real. that. There is yeah. that. Well, but, I mean, you're, you should be able, unless, you know, most places that have open carry, you can't open carry in a federal building, a courthouse, uh, I, uh, I, think, I think a library and things of that nature where it's a, it's a public federal building. But, I mean, you go to the grocery store with your, your firearm in the holster, as long as people can see it, there's no issue if you don't have a, a concealed carry permit. For them to say he had a gun, there is that is not what is at issue here. At issue is, did the police officer have a reasonable cause if there was a gun? Because you have conflicting information. You have the, like Lamont said, the chief says, there is no definitive information that there was a gun being pointed at anybody. 
then you have somebody else saying, well, it was a book. So if there was a gun and he was carrying it openly, there was no reason for the police even to approach him about that. Well, no reason whatsoever. Well, the difference here, he was in an apartment complex parking lot. Which means he was he at his home? Well, like, well, even more so, he was he was not even the person they were going to serve the warrant on. What were they so it, so so I, I I haven't seen that part of it, but I knew that they said that he was not even the intended person for them to serve the warrant. He was in his car, right? And so the question that arose yesterday was he had a book or was it a gun or whatever? But to go back to what what Cliff is saying and the point that you made, the bottom line is. Castillo had his gun in Minnesota. He told him that I have a concealed carry. I am carrying. Now, now, he told the officer that. The officer unloaded four bullets into the man point blank range while in his car. This gentleman, now the question is, well, if he had a gun, the bottom line is it's not having the firearm. It's not having a, it's, was he feel threatened? Did he feel threatened? The bottom line is he shot the man. He shot the man because he's black with a, with or without a firearm, whatever. It, it, it's just wrong. It, it, the people need to wake up to the fact that it's, it's just wrong. They're killing them. They're killing us. And that's it. Well, in the case in North Carolina, uh, William, you allude to the fact that he was not the person that the officers were going to see. Why did they approach his vehicle? I did not see that part of the story. I just know that that was the original, the original statement that was made. Because they were going to serve a, serve a warrant. All right. And, uh, again, if you're sitting in a parking lot, you know, I mean, even, that's if, even, even if I'm sitting in the par- I'm in, but I'm in the parking lot of an apartment complex, I'm not a threat to anybody at that point. And you don't know I have a gun if I'm sitting in my car reading a book, as his family claims he was doing. Uh, but then they say the gun was next to his body. As if that gives some justification. See, there was a gun. Open carry state. And you know what? I, I get so tired of this uh, fear thing. I fear for my life. I've never saw a bunch of police officers that are so afraid. Then why are you on the police force? That's exactly. That, that just you amazes go. me. You're, you fear for your life. Don't you know that it, it, there is a possibility that... It, you could be shot at. You could be killed. I mean, that's the, the, the life of a police officer. Now, let me let me ask you, Dennis, because you're a military man. Do not they tell you when you sign, when you say, I'm coming, you know, I'm enlisted, there's got to be some type of disclaimer. When we put you out there to go to war and service of your country, there is a possibility you could be injured, uh, maimed, lose some uh, life or limb. There's got to be some disclosure with the police force that lets you know you may be in danger of your life to protect and serve the public. This is the type of things you're like, okay, then why? Well, I was scared for my life. Well, you signed up that your life, you just gave your life to your community. And then with the enemy, if, if, if we're talking the enemy. These, these people are against our country. They, they don't like us. We're fighting a war. We're taught to to shoot, to maim, to shoot, to bring down. Our first deadly force is a last resort, but why is it with black or men of color? Why is that the first? I mean, just kill them. Well, well, they talk about the terrorist that was that was taken into custody in New York. 
came out with a gun pointed at officers as a as survived as a terrorist. He was not shot. Okay, he's laying on a gurney, uh, and the gentleman said on CNN today, "Can we? Can somebody tell me how these terrorists and serial killers and mass killings and shootings?" How are they able to come out of a situation to stand trial? Wow. That but is the amazing part. That's what, but the black men who are not armed up with nine magazines and clips and in a black trench coat with one thing in mind to kill as many people as possible, he walks out of the courtroom, claims insanity, goes to, lives to go to trial. Wow. But a black man where we have to even question, was there a gun? Was there a threat? They are dying on our streets. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you look at the guy in, T- in Tulsa. He was not armed. There was no, there was no gun involved. The man had his arms up. One officer decides tases him, and the account says he tased him. The other officer fires. And that's what doesn't make sense. And I, we say this all the time: the taser is there to deter. If you are in doubt, but there is no real threat then okay, let's just hypothetically cross that threshold. Why didn't you tase him? He's going to drop anyway. Exactly. You have to kill him? Doesn't make a lot of sense. And uh, I guarantee you we'll be continuing discussing this. Yes, William? I, I just wanted to bring this up because I, I mentioned this earlier about the shooting in, in Charlotte. And I want to read this because I want our listeners to be aware. This is what the police chief had said. They said that they were searching for a person of, in, of a person of interest with an outstanding warrant and noticed Scott leaving his car with a gun in hand. That's what this that's what the information is being is said. This is the account. Okay, so what was he doing? I mean I mean what was he doing wrong? Let me say it that way. Nothing. He wasn't doing anything wrong. And to add to that, uh, you know, to add to the sickening uh, factors of this whole issue Scott is a disabled man They said he was in a, a pretty bad Car accident last year He has some uh, physical Dehabilitation and also Some mental incapacitation So you uh, Not only have you Taken this life but I mean a man would think That okay I may be, I may be safe Especially if I'm a disabled person even if he was in the if he if he had the gun and he feels like okay I'm disabled so I I have a, a firearm to protect myself all depending on you know how you feel as a as a citizen but that is your right and then for the police to come out and like okay well he he's shot and then the chief has one story and the the police sergeant has another those are the type of things that that cause the community to continue to be angry and say, where is the transparency? And on top of that, they will not uh, release the video, the dash cam and the body cam. If there's nothing going on that, uh, that you feel like the police have lied about the situation, release the video, let, it, let that community see it as well as the rest of the public, so that way we can know what we should be protesting or if we all should just say, okay, you know what, we need to be quiet because this man pointed a gun at the police. That is so simple to prove. Well, at the end of the day, if this man was in the parking lot or, or they, have, they weren't even there to see him, he walked out in an open carry state and carried his gun back to his apartment. You had no right to approach that man. Absolutely. If he's not threatening anybody, if nobody's at risk, there's no disturbance. This man is silently getting out of his car, 
carrying his gun like it's his groceries, which he has the right in an open carry state to transfer the gun out of the out of the uh, and who knows what neighborhood maybe he was in or what maybe he you know well, let me have my weapon with and, me and now you know what they're doing they have this new narrative in law enforcement they've changed from well I felt my life was threatened to he wasn't obeying commands from the law enforcement officers so you tell me if I don't do what a cop do, uh, tells me to do he when they want me to do it he could then, then you deserve to die is that what you're trying to tell the black men of America you don't do what police officers say we will lay you down in the street with a bullet in you that is yeah. that is not the way that the law is. If if I'm not obeying your command, tase me, get me under control, me. and handcuff me and arrest me. And but with reason, it can't just be okay. Well, we stop and frisk, and then well, you didn't want to be stopped, you didn't want to be frisked, so we're going to tase you and take you in. Where is the constitutional civil rights of the Black American man in America? It's not no, here. It's not here, and uh, we're going to continue to discuss this issue. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to CNN, CBS, ABC. It's all over the media in regards to the condition and the outcry of a nation, and the cry needs to continue. And uh, I'll tell you what, I believe in peaceful protest, but when you continually, continually say the same words when a black man is killed, well, we need to have dialogue. That is played out. We've been we're done talking how about saving some lives? Exactly. The talking apparently is not getting us anywhere, but people arguing on, on these media outlets about, well, I believe a cop is justified. And I had somebody say, heard today that they said Michael Brown's death was absolutely justified and was proven that it was justified. Are you out of your mind? This is an anchor on a major anchor woman on a major network. These people are so mixed up. Do not have a clue, and I'll say this before we go to break. Uh, a gentleman on Facebook uh, put something out last night, and then uh, it had to be probably about 1 o'clock. I just happened to see a notification. And he said, well, had he obeyed the cops, none of this stuff would happen and people wouldn't be denied. They just need to do what the cops says. My statement back to him, I'll tell you what, was clear. And I said to him, I said, apparently your ignorance of not being an African-American in this country, you don't have a clue exactly. of what black people go through in this country, and you should think before you open your ignorant mouth. Exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, he responded once, and I didn't hear nothing else back from him. L- ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you need to speak out. You need to cry out against it. When you hear people talking stupid, speak to it. Step to the plate. Our young people, our black men are dying in the streets. In America, I guarantee it, unless we take a stand and say enough is enough, it's never going to stop. This is AJC Radio on the other side of the break. First lady, she's known as the closer, Michelle Obama. It's her night here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. You don't want to miss it. We're coming live from Colorado Springs, 83 degrees, partly sunny, and Los Angeles, California, 74 and sunny in our nation's capital, partly cloudy and 75, the temperature is dropping. We'll be right back here on AJC Radio.
Ladies and gentlemen of America, we extend a special invitation to you to join AJC Radio and our programming every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We will be addressing issues that definitely shape a nation and affect America's future. We will also be dealing with members of Congress shining the spotlight on our initiative called Spotlight on Capitol Hill. You don't want to miss it, folks. Every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, AJC Radio makes a difference across the nation. We'll see you then. What's up, y'all? It's your boy Cam on stage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911. The police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid. That means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers. But that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket. Selling cigarettes outside of a corner store. Walking home with a friend. Missing a front license plate. Riding a commuter train. Holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio. Holding a fake gun in Virginia. Calling for help after a car accident. Driving with a broken brake light. Failing to signal a lane change. Walking away from police. Walking toward police. Running to the bathroom in your apartment building. Walking up the stairwell of your apartment building. Sitting in your car before your bachelor party. Holding your wallet. Not wearing a seatbelt in police custody. Attending a birthday party. Laughing. The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instructions. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If he would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black-on-black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use, and since I don't have any brushes with the law or mugshots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault, or Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say, we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. The NRA won't protect me or protest my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground, or a video of an officer shooting me, or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about race. We're all one people. All lives matter. And then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, 
life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. in, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception, and we are excited in AJC Radio to honor the closer. What are you talking about? Michelle Obama, First Lady Michelle Obama, known as the closer, and a woman of high regard, but, and, and in high regard, rather, but with the American people. Uh, one of the most popular First Ladies in American history Tonight we dig into her life, the things that she has sacrificed, the passion, her driving force to impact a nation uh, with her husband. And I'll tell you what, she has not failed at that one bit. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams and the AJC Radio team. Lisa is off tonight. And uh, we are excited, Dennis, as we get ready to talk about a fascinating woman. Uh, And I'll tell you, where do we begin with such a magnificent lady, first lady, and they're, they're saying the greatest first lady ever. No, no disrespect uh, intended for our former first ladies, but she's done some things. I'll tell you what, she's loved by a lot of people. Dennis, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, she's still doing a lot of things. I mean, uh, her, like I said earlier, just her concern for the children, uh, you know, making sure, you know, they're eating healthy, you know, in school and all that good stuff. And then not only that, I, myself being a veteran, uh, when I think about, you know, the money, the pledges, uh, how she bought everything together uh, so that we could provide for our veterans' families. And, I mean, that's just, to me, in itself, is awesome. And, and for a first lady to really push that uh, is commendable. Oh, absolutely. William, your thoughts on uh, Michelle Obama? Uh, it says here, uh, First Lady Michelle uh, LaVon Robinson Obama, uh, a lawyer, writer, and the wife of the 44th and current President Barack Obama, is the first African-American first lady of the United States. Uh, Through her four main initiatives, she has become a role model for women, an advocate for healthy families, service members and their families, higher education, and international uh, adolescents' girls' education. Uh, William, these are just a few things, but these are her passions. But these, what we just read off to you, are impactful, uh, life-changing initiatives that impact lives for a lifetime. Yes, I mean she's she's definitely 
I mean, she's incredible. She's an incredible role model, incredible figure as, as first lady. Um, you know, and we've talked about before, you know, her support of her husband, support of the office, all the initiatives, initiatives, excuse me, that she has going on. Um, and she's just, she's just an amazing person. No, absolutely. And, uh, we were excited about it. Uh, uh, states here, they say here that they say when people ask first lady Michelle Obama to describe herself, excuse me, she doesn't hesitate to say that first and foremost, she is Malia and Sasha's mom. I'm a mother. And if you'll notice, Michelle Obama has put on a cap and gone into Target, gone into Walmart. Uh, I believe she went shopping somewhere. I believe it was with Ellen. And people were just freaking out. And she was just like an everyday person in there doing her thing. And I think that's why people, in spite of her education, uh, in spite of what she has achieved, they can relate to her, Dennis. Yes, it's I about that, being real. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's what's great about it. It's like, uh, yeah, I am the uh, first lady, and, and yes, my husband is the president, but still, you know, we, we truly care about people, and we're truly grateful that we're in the house, that we're able to, do, you know, reach out to uh, other families and let them know, you know, that they're cared for. And, and I think that's important. I think when people hear her, uh, they're hearing a variety of roles here. You're hearing from a wife. You're hearing from a mother. Uh, you're hearing from someone who cares about children who cares about america it's just a combination of things and she displays it so well uh in a very very positive way um right now we're going to hear and we're going to be doing this uh, tonight let's hear a little bit from michelle obama who has a high level of conviction and says you know what we are responsible we are role models we are we must be examples michelle obama speaks to that let's see what she had to say We as parents are their most important role models. And let me tell you, Barack and I take that same approach to our jobs as president and first lady because we know that our words and actions matter, not just to our girls, but the children across this country. Kids, kids who tell us, I saw you on TV. I wrote a report on you for school. <laughs> kids like the little black boy who looked up at my husband, his eyes wide with hope, and he wondered, is my hair like yours? And make no mistake about it, this November, when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding. Not Democrat or Republican, not left or right. No, in this election and every election is about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. And I, I am here tonight because in this election, there is only one person who I trust with that responsibility. Only one person who I believe is truly qualified to be president of the United States. And that is our friend, Hillary Clinton. because I've seen her lifelong devotion to our nation's children. Not just her own daughter, who she has raised to perfection, but, but every child who needs a champion. 
And there you have it, Michelle Obama putting it down. I'll tell you, and you hear the enthusiasm of that crowd, and what she is saying, Cliff, is phenomenal. This is not Republican. This is not Democrat. This is about who will shape the nation, who will shape the lives of our children and really the future of this country. Yeah, because that's what it's about. You know, no matter who you vote for, whether you're what party you, you stand with, Republican or Democrat, at the end of the day, when everybody votes, uh, the president that's voted in is everybody's president. It's like the will of the people uh, has been, you know, basically done. So now we have a president, we have a legislature, that now we need to work together and to get things done. And, uh, you know, First Lady Michelle Obama, she lays it out that this is not about Republicans or Democrats. This is about shaping the nation when when the polls are closed when whoever in, is in office is in there and it's time to do the job how do we as a people shape the nation that is what it's about that and she understands that and that is what she does as the first lady to say okay i'm here to to make a difference for everyone from the children to the veterans to uh you know uh, women's rights not only nationwide but worldwide i mean she goes right. She goes beyond America when it comes to uh, the rights of people. And that's why you have to come in and say, okay, you came in as first lady. You were not, uh, you know, basically tasked to do all the things that you did. But she made a statement once that she said that I want to leave on the record that the person who was here last, that they made a difference. These are the accomplishments that they made. And one of those accomplishments is the, uh, the Let's Move uh, campaign that she has with the kids to fight childhood obesity and like like she said uh, in that clip you know you say you saw me on TV you saw me here on social media you saw me wearing this what about you saw me exercising you saw me doing the right thing you saw me eating healthy that is the type of role model that we need that's what Michelle Obama does well, she made the statement clear words matter and we you understand whether you like it or not you're in a position where people are looking up exactly. to you and to take that responsibility speaks to the character of First Lady Michelle Obama. Uh, but, says, but before she was a mother or a wife, lawyer, or public servant, she was Frazier and Marion Robinson's daughter. The Robinsons lived in a brick bungalow on the south side of Chicago. Frazier was a pump operator for the Chicago Water Department, and despite being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, excuse me, uh, sclerosis at a young age, he hardly ever missed a day of work. Marion stayed home to raise Michelle and her older brother Craig, skillfully managing a busy household filled with love, laughter, and important life lessons. That's, and I'll tell you what, folks, that isn't Beverly Hills. I'll tell you right now, and that's not the suburbs. You're talking about the south, south side of Chicago. Make no mistake about it. Michelle Obama didn't come up with a silver spoon in her mouth. She learned one thing and what was important. She had a life and a home filled with love and a lot of tough, uh, hard work by her father, that who was who was ill and he never missed hardly a day of work. Those are the principles that shape a nation. Then it's when you hear that, I tell you what, you have you have to respect the fact that First Lady Michelle Obama is not someone that does not know what it means to have it tough. She absolutely does, doesn't she? She does, and I truly believe that a uh, president and a first lady uh, have to have had some type of interaction with you know the. the 
not not like you said, no silver spoon, you know. Uh, she went to public school. Right. You know what I'm saying? So she's she's been there, done that. You know, I can relate. I can I can I, I can go back and and think about days that we didn't have food on our table. So I can relate not only with the middle class, the rich, but I can also relate to the poor. Absolutely. That, I mean, that's awesome. And uh, like you said, a product of Chicago public schools, uh, Michelle Robinson. And again, this is uh, Michelle Obama studied sociology and African-American studies at Princeton University. After graduating from Harvard Law School in 1988, excuse me, she joined the Chicago law firm of Sidley and Austin, where she later, later met Barack Obama, the man who would become the love of her life. Uh, you're talking about a rags-to-riches story. Exactly. Uh, you know, the hard grind of growing up on the south side of Chicago. And I'll tell you what, the public schools in Chicago, some of the, I mean, you've got some challenges there, a lot of issues. She came up and graduated Harvard. I mean, you're talking about a success story, someone that can say to kids, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. And who would have ever guessed? And I remember reading a story about Barack Obama, and I saw a picture of President Obama and, and during the younger years. And uh, they were, I guess there's a movie out. I don't remember the exact title of it now. It talks about uh, the first dates of Barack Obama, President Obama and Michelle, and what a love story that is. And when you think about this, you understand why she felt compelled. And I think it's important, uh, uh, First Lady Michelle Obama, as a mother, felt a need to improve school lunches. Why? I want my daughters to be to not even, you know, they're in the White House now, but I want the kids when I was coming up, I didn't have improved lunches. Right. There's, that's that relatability, if you will, that happens with the First Lady. And I think you wonder why her popularity is at the level that it is. That is exactly why. William, you had a thought? Well, I, I was, I mean, like Dennis's thought. I mean, when you look at someone that has grown up in a, in a strong family, learned family values, saw their father and mother, you know, working, you know, no doubt they emphasize the importance of education. Uh, it's, it's, it's just incredible that, that she took her situation and said, you know what, I'm going to be better. I was just sitting here, you know, you think about she graduated from two Ivy League schools, graduated from Harvard graduated from Princeton, and then there's so much, I guess, education must be, you know, so much in their family. She went, later on, went to work as the associate dean of, of student services at the University of Chicago. And so, you know, again, this emphasis on education, giving back to the community, and, and being a role model, all these things are, are, you know, it's just incredible what she's done. It's awesome, and uh, Dennis, you yeah, have and it truly, it truly, uh, 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 let's people help people to understand that, like you were saying, uh, Lamont, that you could do it. I mean, uh, don't don't try to use uh, where I came from as an excuse, because right. I tell you, if if if, Mich- if Michelle Obama, uh, as, as, if the first lady is the example, you have no excuse, because she oh, came absolutely. from rag, and she she made it. She she went to college. She did a lot, and I'm truly I'm telling you something. Is some is someone to truly look up to? Well, she states here that after a few years, uh, First Lady uh, Michelle Obama decided her true calling was working with people to serve their communities and their neighbors. She served as Assistant Commissioner of Planning and Development in Chicago City Hall before becoming the founding executive director of Chicago Chapter of Public Allies and AmeriCorps program that prepares youth for public service. Uh, which again, that speaks volumes. Uh, it goes further, I think. What, what uh, William alluded to, 1996. Uh, Ms. Obama joined the University of Chicago with the vision of bringing campus and community together 
As Associate Dean of Student Services, she developed the university's first community service program, and under her leadership, as, as, as William stated, uh, Vice President of the Community and External Affairs for the University of Chicago Medical Center, volunteerism uh, skyrocketed. skyrocketed. Uh, Ms. Obama has continued her efforts to support and inspire young people doing her first time as First Lady. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And this is about what we talk about all the time of giving back, of doing what is important. What values do you have? What commitments do you have? Michelle, and you see why President Obama, in his own right, is a leader. But that type of support and character as your wife. Yes. Yes. I mean, you, you, you you can't lose. You can't lose. And we're going to hear a little bit about the last eight years and the challenges uh, uh, Michelle Obama reflects on the last eight years and the challenges that they face. Uh, let's hear what she had to say. I also told you about our daughters, how they are the heart of our hearts, the center of our world. And during our time in the White House, we've had the joy of watching them grow from bubbly little girls into poised young women. A journey that started soon after we arrived in Washington, when they set off for their first day at their new school. I will never forget that winter morning as I watched our girls, just seven and 10 years old, pile into those black SUVs with all those big men with guns. (laughs) And I saw their little faces pressed up against the window And the only thing I could think was, what have we done? (laughs) See, because at that moment, I realized that our time in the White House would form the foundation for who they would become. And how well we managed this experience could truly make or break them. That is what Barack and I think about every day as we try to guide and protect our girls through the challenges of this unusual life in the spotlight how we urge them to ignore those who question their father's citizenship or faith. How we insist that the hateful language they hear from public figures on TV does not represent the true spirit of this country. How we explain that when someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, our motto is, when they go low, we go high. Well, there you have it. Wow is all you can say to that. When her husband sought re-election in 2012, facing a challenging race against Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney, Michelle Obama campaigned on his behalf. She traveled the country giving talks and making public appearances. In September of that year, Michelle delivered a noteworthy speech at the Democratic, Democratic National Convention. And I quote, every day the people I meet inspire me. Every day they make me proud. Every day they remind me how blessed we are to live in the greatest nation on earth, she said. Serving as your first lady is an honor and a privilege She went on to praise the Latino community for supporting President Obama and stated that her husband, the same man she fell in love with all those years ago, 
understands the American dream as well as the every as well as the everyday struggles of American families and cares deeply about making a difference in people's lives. Michelle won both public and critical praise for her narrative called A Shining Moment by the Washington Post. Tonight, AJC Radio, we honor her, First Lady Michelle Obama, on this special edition, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Of a Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Grant footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young You can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice. And making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize the message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. 
But one thing is clear, there's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're wondering what is all the celebration about, make no mistake about it. First Lady, we said it once, we'll say it again, known as the closer, First Lady Michelle Obama making an impact on a nation. And I'll tell you what, we're just getting started. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and William Williams and the AJC radio team. And I'll tell you what, this is something that really, when you get into discussing what Michelle Obama is doing, what her concerns are. Man, it makes you proud of the First Lady. And I'll tell you what, uh, we salute Barack Obama and that, that, that couple there. I'll tell you what, you know, they used to call folks power couples. That's a power couple right there. And they're getting some things done. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Oh, they are definitely a power couple. <laughs> just awesome. I tell you, I mean, uh, just talking about her and, and uh, reading the things that she's done and, and, and sharing, I tell you, uh, the First Lady is awesome. And I tell you, with all that she's doing right now and continues to do, because they're not out the White House yet, so she's still got some things that she's doing with our veterans and with families. And I'm telling you again, it's awesome. Well, absolutely. And uh, go a little bit a little bit about some of the issues. As the 44th First Lady of the United States, uh, Michelle Obama has focused her attention on issue, issues such as the support of military families, helping working women balance career and family and encouraging national service. But during the first year of the Obama presidency, Michelle and her husband volunteered at homeless shelters and soup kitchens in the Washington, D.C. area. Michelle also has made appearances at public schools, stressing the importance of education and volunteer work. I'll go to you here, uh, Dennis, the, the focus on military families, the importance of that. How important is it that you need not only the president, but to have the first lady say, you know what, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I know these issues are important. That's got to make you feel pretty good. Oh, it's awesome. And it makes a big difference, too. Not that uh, the president visiting the troops doesn't make a big difference, but we got to understand our, our soldiers, our, our wives and husbands, uh, they can't fight. Uh, unless their spouses and their children are being taken care of. I mean, it's very difficult. Absolutely. Not, you know, not being able to know that they're being taken care of. And then to see the first lady get so involved with making sure that the families are taken care of. I mean, that is huge because you, when you're away and you know your family is being taken care of, or you know that there's programs out there that can assist you while you're away, while you're away you can't beat that. 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, 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 she really got involved. Uh, every conscience of her family's diet and health. Uh, Michelle Obama has supported the organic food movement, instructing the White House kitchens to prepare organic food for guests and her family. In March 2009, Michelle worked uh, with fifth graders from a local school in Washington, D.C., to plant 1,100-square-foot garden of fresh vegetables and install beehives on the south lawn of the White House. Since 2010, Michelle has put efforts to fight childhood obesity near the top of her agenda. William, I'll tell you, man, this is, this is mom getting the job done. That's the truth. That is the truth. I mean, she is, she's definitely opened her arms up to society and said, listen, I, I embrace you know, those that are that are struggling, those that are having problems, those that, you know, just need some influence, some guidance. And I mean, it, it's really it's really great. I mean, all the things that she's done. And I mean, there's no way we could cover this stuff. It's just it's just jaw dropping. And it's a, but it's amazing that someone like her has taken these initiatives and said and embraced the fact, you know what, she's in. She she wasn't elected to office, but she has an office Absolutely. and she has. Uh, a public face and and what she's seen doing is not about it's about really being effective it's being an effective first lady and uh, i tell you it's just so many things that she's done well we're going to keep digging into it as we get further into this program right now let's hear a little bit about the popularity of first lady michelle obama and one major issue that she contributed that is now the law of the land let's hear a little bit about that You guys, will, will you show me what to do? So I can the first lady and her army of preteen planters added bok choy, artichokes, and mustard greens to the White House garden today, which weathered Washington's wild winter under a cozy plastic covering. Would you ever imagine that what you did last year would lead to all of this? Can I have some hugs? Fourteen months into her tenure as first lady, Michelle Obama is enjoying the kind of popularity her husband would jump through hoops for. Her approval ratings stand at 78%, higher than her recent predecessors at similar points in their husband's presidencies. Is it good? She has settled on a signature issue, childhood obesity. Because cheese isn't bad, especially when you're a kid. Using her clout to chide grocery manufacturers, we need you all to step it up. Even hula hooping to show children how easy it is to get exercise. I love the way that Mrs. Obama has stressed the simple things that people can change to make a huge difference in their lives. She's taken fashion risks, yes, but political risks, too. Addressing the issue of race, there were kids around my neighborhood who would say, oh, you talk funny. You talk like a white girl. Mm-hmm. And so granting important. an interview to right-leaning Fox News before her husband would. Why? You know, this is a solvable issue. In short, she hasn't been afraid to get her hands dirty, which seems to have gone over well with most Americans. Nancy Gordon, CBS News, Washington. President Obama is embarking on a full-out media blitz for health care reform this weekend, and he's getting some help from a very familiar face. CBS News senior White House correspondent Bill Plant explains. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Julie. The president does have a new partner in his nonstop effort to sell health care. It's the First Lady. Ah, you might ask, like, Hillary Clinton? Well, no, that's not exactly what the White House has in mind. 
States, Michelle. Michelle Obama will be more like a stealth weapon in the battle for health care, giving it a softer touch, as she did at this farmer's market near the White House Thursday. It has truly inspired me and the White House staff to look for opportunities to put the topic of healthy eating right on the table and at the forefront of health care discussions. With a favorable rating of around 70%, well above her husband's, and the background of a hospital executive, Michelle Obama will counterbalance her husband's hard sell. They feel like uh, she can give a, a different voice, because as you can see, a lot of the folks out there are very partisan. The First Lady's debut coincides with the president's media blitz this weekend. He's pushing health care reform on five talk shows this Sunday. That'll be a presidential first, adding to the 66 TV appearances and 157 speeches in which he's already campaigned for reform plans. Political scientist Larry Sabato says the president's media blitz makes sense. It is a fractured media environment, and presidents, like everyone else, have a difficult time piercing the public consciousness. But is the president running the risk of overexposure? Common sense would tell you that if a president is on all the time, if it's all Obama all the time, then probably people are going to tune out some of the message. And some of them will never even see it. The president is skipping Fox News this coming Sunday. But even if some people do tune out, the White House figures the president is the best salesman. They're going to keep him out there, keep him at it, and we'll see what happens. Julie, or Maggie, I'm sorry, Maggie. We shall. Bill Plant, thank you, Bill. One of the programs the president will appear on this Sunday is Face the Nation, which, of course, is moderated by CBS News Chief White House Correspondent, Chief Washington Correspondent Bob Schieffer. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I'd like to start by asking you about the president's new weapon in health care reform, his wife. Like Bill said, I immediately thought back to Hillary Clinton, but it is different in that back then Mrs. Clinton was really spearheading the effort. What do you think Mrs. Obama's role should be here? How could she be an asset? Well, people like her. Every poll shows that. And, and I think uh, presidents' wives can kind of soften the debate, take the hard edge off of it. Uh, is she going to make a big difference? Is she going to be the one that tips the balance toward health care? I think the answer to that is no. But uh, I think the other part of it is uh, she's very likable. Uh, people like to see her. And uh, like chicken soup, I think it can't hurt. And there you have it. Uh, wow. Uh, the driving force in working with her husband to push health care and to get out there. And it talked about the uh, clip you were making uh, mention of this, the Let's Move initiative. Uh, Michelle Obama remains committed to her health and wellness causes. In 2012, she announced a new fitness program for kids as part of her Let's Move initiative. Along with the U.S. Olympic team and other sports organizations, she has worked to get young people to try out a new sport or activity. This year, 1.7 million young people will be participating in Olympic uh, uh, and Paralympic sports in their communities, many of them for the very first time. And that is so important because sometimes all it takes is that first lesson or clinic or class to get a child excited about a new sport, says Michelle Obama. Uh, William, when you, when you hear that, and again, we talk about the drive, the dedication, the push for a better tomorrow. We talk about that all the time. We do things, people do things many times that are only affected today. These are things that will be affected for years and generations to come as we move into areas 
well, we put the focus on what's really important. That's that's true. I mean, it's the person. I think the thing that makes that gives you a lasting impact is the person that delivers the message. You know, how influential is this person? What kind of what kind of you know character this person is? That you know, when you really look at this person, you admire the qualities that this person has. Then you receive it a lot better. And so, you know, when she comes, just like he said, you know, it it softens sometimes the message. Sometimes it's received better, you know, um, you know, and, and so I'm just amazed with her. I mean, she is she is doing a lot of things, um, but the continued emphasis on family, the continued in- emphasis on working with children, giving them a better, a brighter tomorrow, hope for tomorrow. You know, all these things are, are things that really drive her and motivate her because you can see throughout her work um, it's really the foundation of a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. Cliff? Uh, I'm in some technical difficulties. Uh, I think we got it here. Uh, go ahead, Cliff. No, I was going to say that, um, you know, you, you look at all of her, her initiative with, uh, uh, you know, child obesity and all those things. When you think about, you know, as a, as a black person in America, you know, a lot of times in the, you know, places like Chicago, where I grew up in LA, nobody taught us about count calories. Nobody taught us is how much you should eat a day. Uh, we were pretty much busy trying to get another meal, something else to eat, you know, uh, but as as a lot of us grow up, you know, you just take that like, okay, I just eat when I feel like eating because there's food available. But uh, so uh, nobody really told us count calories and this is what can happen. This is how you can get obese. This is how you can get high blood pressure. This is how you can uh, get high cholesterol. Michelle Obama is bringing the entire health initiative to the entire America because with um, – with most inner city children not knowing how to, you know, what a diet is or, or how nutrition should be handled, portion sizes, things of that nature, she has brought it to the spotlight where typically that's mostly for the uh, upper middle class and upper class that they understand, you know, you need a certain amount of vegetables. This is how you stay healthy. This is nutrition. You know, you, you have a personal chef, chef, that chef understands nutrition. She is bringing that to the masses to say, this yep. is what you need to do to remain healthy. This is about the health of a nation. It starts with the children. That is such a huge issue because most people in America, I mean, America, let's just, let's just face it, America is the most obese nation in the, in the world. But to have the first lady to take that initiative to say, let's ensure that the next generation, that our kids know how to count calories, how to deal with nutrition facts. That speaks volumes to who she is as a person. Oh, absolutely. And uh, it goes further, uh, even with that initiative. Just think about the number of people in our country that die from obesity-related diseases. Uh, that, again, as Cliff alluded to, you're not taught that during, when you're growing up a lot. Uh, in the African-American community, a lot, there's a lot of issues statistically with just bad eating sometimes. The culture of, of, of the African-American community, and to see an African-American woman who is no different, comes from that same type of, you know, what, what, you know, they call good eating, good food, but I'll tell you what, it has some really dire effects on, uh, on long living, of health, of all those things, and to be an example of that, to be the spokesman, not only for the African-American community, but in every community to say, look, we can do better. 
and let's believe, and not only do it by what she's saying, 1.7 million young people participating in Let's Move, that initiative about finding a sport. You, those are things that you instill in children when they're young. They begin to continue that pattern a lot of the time. Yes, that's right. um, and I think that is so important that she, that she is doing that and pressing, uh, really making an imprint in the history of America and for the future of America, I think speaks volumes of, uh, of her character, her passion, um, she went as far as to put her message in print. Uh, Michelle Obama released a book as part of her mission to promote healthy eating, uh, American Grown, the story of the White House kitchen garden and gardens across America, uh, explores her own experience creating a vegetable garden as well as the work of community gardens elsewhere. She told her rooters that sees the book as an opportunity, she sees the book rather, as an opportunity to help readers understand where their food was coming from, and to talk about the work that we're doing with childhood obesity and childhood health. Um, it speaks volumes. This is important because we see a, a rise in different diseases that come from obesity, whether it's diabetes, whether it's uh, heart disease, whether all these things that are in play that can cut life off. She's saying, I want to do something that extends life. I believe her as a mother uh, and as a wife, the care and nurturing of a mother, uh, to care not only for her own children, but for the children of America. William speaks volumes. Well, I mean, even even she has gone to the extent of being one of the, you know, actually reaching out to the youth through social media. You know, she's she understands her her role and getting to and educating our children gives them a brighter tomorrow. So, you know, one of the things that I was sitting here looking at was how much she's embraced social media, how much she has encouraged the, you know, the people that follow her and children um, through her progress on Twitter, through her Instagram, through her Facebook. I mean, she's out there communicating with children on you know, and channels that they use, they use Instagram, they use Facebook, they use these things, and they're seeing her. They're seeing her in uh, in what is said like humorous skits online. So they're actually feeling like they're in touch with her, and I think that's great. You know, she's really reaching out. No, absolutely. And um, I'll tell you what, with, with Michelle talked about as a person that really we talked about earlier that relates to people that can kind of just when she walks in a room, people don't feel, oh my goodness, it's the first lady. Yeah. Not in a bad way, like I don't know what to say, but they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so honored. Uh, and she just talks to them like she's their family. Let's hear a little bit of, about uh, one of those situations that, that Michelle Obama was actually in at the White House. One of the most popular tourist attractions in Washington is the White House. You can arrange a tour by contacting your representative in Congress. And if you take the tour... Well, as Nora O'Donnell tells us, you never know who you might run into. Every now and then I get to come as a surprise. When White House visitors turned the corner to the Blue Room today, they were greeted by none other than the First Lady. You tell your grandbabies to eat their vegetables. Okay. All right. This is not the first time Mrs. Obama has surprised guests. She's done it four times since her husband became president. And today she welcomed her visitors with open arms. Did you expect to see me? No. Surprise. Surprise. 
unprepared to meet America's most famous wife and mother, some were overcome with emotion. One young girl just couldn't believe her eyes. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. In all, Mrs. Obama welcomed more than 500 guests for more than an hour. Do well in school. Yeah. Eat your vegetables. Listen to your teachers. Please stay out of trouble. <laughs> Read. Please. Listen to your parents. A mother's message for those lucky enough to have perfect timing. Nora O'Donnell, CBS News, the White House. Well, that's awesome. Uh, you know, you hear that, and the little words of encouragement, eat your vegetables, stay out of trouble, stay in school, read your books, whatever it is, tell your grandparents to eat their vegetables. I think that type of connection, and it's very evident, that type of connection is just absolutely awesome. We say a lot of times that I remember one thing uh, that my teacher told me in fourth grade or fifth grade or when I got ready to go to middle school, that one teacher that said, you can do it, you can make it, you would be very surprised at the impact of a good word. And when you hear Michelle there in that very brief clip, it's just putting, I like to say, sowing seeds, that you're planting thoughts of good things into the minds of people that they never forget. I never forgot Michelle Obama told me to keep doing good, to stay out of trouble. That is why the importance of a role model, the importance of and what she said earlier, our words matter. And that's why the, the, the commander-in-chief must be. And this is the first lady who, if the first lady feels a responsibility to watch her words and to walk carefully, how much more is the president of the United States? Dennis, that, that is awesome to me. Oh, yeah, it is. And then when... Uh, you know, the first lady comes out and, and talks to you as though, you know, we're, we're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's awesome because it takes the, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times when we get around, uh, you know, people of high status, uh, we, we're very reluctant to, to say something. But when someone comes out and starts talking to you the way she did to the children, hey, they're like, hey, it's odd, so I could be real because she's real. And I tell you, that is awesome, man. No, that's absolutely awesome. And uh, it goes here whenever, since after a year as First Lady, she undertook that lead role in administration-wide initiative. Her goal was to make progress, listen to this, in reversing the 21st century trend of childhood obesity. She stated that her goal is to make the effort her legacy. I want to leave something behind that we can say. Because of this time that this person spent here, this thing has changed. And my hope is that, my hope is that that's going to be in the area of childhood obesity. She has named the movement, Let's Move. I mean, think about that. And not only do you, the obesity issue, she understands the cruelty in schools, how children can be so cruel to people that may be different or look different. All of that goes into play here. And you notice when President Obama will make a statement when a tragedy has hit this nation, he says, that could be my, that's my son, that's my daughter. And that type of cohesiveness, if you will, in that type of leadership, uh, Cliff, is so, so very, very important. That's right. You have to feel um, and know 
that you know there's someone who's standing with you there's nothing you know i i saw um one time at the gym they had this poster of you know a person working out and it's like it's like one person trying to you know shoot a giant slingshot well you're just one person but they say if you have if you have a workout partner then that person can help you to aim what you're shooting for so to have somebody standing in your corner and helping you out with what you're doing all it takes is you know, like like the uh, when you have a person's like, yeah, if one person falls down and you got somebody to help pick you up, that makes you twice as strong as you as you could be on your own. So to have a person like, you know, uh, a spouse like Michelle Obama, first lady like Michelle Obama, a, a mother like Michelle Obama, I mean, it looking at her legacy, everything that she's done, uh, you know, for for people in every walk of life, especially the kids. I mean, you're talking about an entire generation that will look back when they're adults and say, you know, I remember when I was 10 years old. I remember when I was 12 years old and, you know, we went to the White House and the first lady taught us how to how to make a garden with fresh vegetables. She taught us uh, how, you know, just going outside and playing makes you a healthier person. These are lifelong lessons that she has taken it upon herself to say, this will be my legacy, that I did something for the children and it stuck with them. Because, you know, like Dennis said, she comes out to, to most people, Michelle Obama is a celebrity, but she comes out and she treats these kids like, hey, I'm just your friend that lives right down the block. If you need something, you need somebody to talk to, you need a hug. I mean, every time she sees the kid, she's always asking, hey, can I get a hug? That speaks volumes to a, a kid that may be an introvert, may not have, uh, you know, family affection. And when you see her do it, this is not a show. This is not because there is a camera around. This is Michelle Obama. No, without question. It goes a little bit further with her support for women. Uh, Michelle Obama hosted a White House dinner to support mentoring programs for young girls, uh, encouraging them to break the glass ceiling. She told the crowd, once you see somebody on TV, it looks like it's easy. But the truth is, we only know many of these women once they become famous, once they're in the news. Faith and love and hard work, that's what got us through. You don't need money or connections. The question is, do you let that fear stop you? These are life-changing inspirations. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, very special edition of Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Tonight, focusing on the First Lady, Michelle Obama, touching lives and people of all ages, of all races, of all religions, and embracing the human spirit. We honor you tonight, First Lady Michelle Obama. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to call into the program, 319-527-6216. If you have a comment about Michelle Obama, as she's inspired you, what do you think of our First Lady? Feel free again to call in, 319-527-6216. We're coming right back as we continue Spotlight on Capitol Hill Special Edition, First Lady Michelle Obama. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. 
Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents who are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. Community. The community. Become a part of the community. Messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitude towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now, healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America, to all of our listeners in the United States and all of our listeners around the world. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, a very special edition honoring the First Lady. She's known as the Closer. I keep saying that because uh, in sports or in situations or in sales, if you're a Closer, you get the job done. Michelle Obama is known as the closer. And I'll tell you what, folks, what we have learned tonight in regards to Michelle Obama, uh, First Lady Michelle Obama, we have nothing but rave reviews uh, for her tonight. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams. Uh, Lisa is off tonight. But we're having a good time here. Uh, Cliff, as we have only scratched the surface, we're almost uh, an hour and a half into the program and, and so much information. Uh, on Miss Obama uh, and her relatability, is, if that's a word, but the way she's able to relate to people of all ages, of all backgrounds, I mean, everything that you can think of, 
you heard the number, Cliff. Popularity number. Yeah, that is. 78%. Is that normal? That, I mean, come on. That is, those are insane type numbers because if you, if you think, if you say, okay, just say, let's just break it down 50%, as theoretically, 50% Democrats, 50% Republicans. If every Democrat in the country said, I approve of her, then you got 38% of the Republicans saying, oh, she's a great first lady. But, you know, you cannot argue with the numbers. Like I said, check the stats. And when you look at everything that she does across the board, you know, one of her um, initiatives that I was looking at that, that uh, you know, concerned the military is how she, she basically uh, dealt with military spouse jobs where, you know, it says five years ago, only three states allowed military spouses to transfer their professional licenses when their families moved as of this week it was three all 50 states that is absolutely amazing because you think about you think about people who are barbers think uh cosmetologists people who you know you get a state license to do a particular thing well what michelle obama said is that we had to go state by state working with governors state legislators and other officials to help them understand the dynamics of military life and how their board's licensing processes may not leave sufficient time for a military spouse to obtain a license, find a job, and progress in a career during a multi-year tour of duty. To take this type of stand, this type of initiative, and to take the time that, that she had to put in, her and the, uh, the coalition with her, to put in all 50 states. Yeah. I mean, that is no small undertaking. And, and you're talking about in a five-year span she was able to go to all 50 of these states. She said that the established the statutes established by the 50 states, these rules are created by approximately 50 boards and regulatory agencies per state. So you're talking about in five years, they pulled that off. That is wow. nothing less awesome. than amazing. That, that's crazy. Well, let's talk a little bit. We talked about the, the, uh, the Democratic National Convention. Let's go to the report of how Michelle Obama was received uh, at the at the national convention, uh, but we, before we go there, we talk about um, exactly what she's done. How I watched the Democratic National Convention, man, and I tell you right now, I was up. I mean, I was up. What made you want to say Michelle for president? I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I mean I'm, I'm not putting out any uh, political whatever, but I'm just saying personally, that's what it made me feel, Michelle I mean, for president, because awesome. it, yeah. it, it is uh, it's not just a speech when she said it. It's like, okay, she is really, you know, this is what she feels. This is really what's going on inside her, and it, it made you feel the same way, Michelle Obama uh, for president. Well, let's go to the clip, folks, a little bit. The impact Michelle Obama made. Hillary Clinton, my daughter, and all our sons and daughters now take for granted that a woman can be President of the United States. Emotional moment there from mm. First Lady Michelle Obama's speech. Yes, proud. absolutely. Uh, President Obama tweeting directly after that incredible speech by an incredible woman. Couldn't be more proud of our country. Has been blessed to have her as Lotus. 
I love you, Michelle. He Aww. actually said, I love you on Twitter. Most yeah. dudes would never do that. The President of the United States does not, you know, he's going to do it. So before I ask you, Nancy, uh, about her speech, let's show the cover of the New York Daily News tomorrow. This is how uh, her speech was received and her message was received. It reads, the lady is her champ, with the H being the H from the Hillary Clinton campaign logo. That's why the lady is her champ. Oh, we're back. Yeah. We're back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, so Nancy, yeah. what did you make of her remarks? So what I thought was interesting about this speech was uh, you're going to hear a lot of politicians this week talk about what a great politician Hillary Clinton is and what a great president she'll be. But it was very different to hear a mother talking from a mother's point of view about why Hillary Clinton would be a a good president. That's a a completely different kind of speech. And the argument that she made basically was that, you know, for her children sitting at home and for other children who are sitting at home hearing some of Donald Trump's rhetoric, um, you know, that as a mother, she worries about, you know, what messages those kids are getting uh, and that she's very proud when she listens to Hillary and she feels like, you know, Hillary would be a good role model. And I think you see on those women there was so interesting is I was standing down on the floor and when she said I love knowing that my daughters now know that they can be president someday because of Hillary Clinton uh, every woman around me I don't know whether they were Clinton supporters or Bernie Sanders supporters but every woman around me I would say you know age 40 on up uh, had tears in their eyes instantly mm. when she said that. Mm. So Dan Pfeiffer, really quickly, former senior advisor to President Obama, tweeted after her remarks saying, this is why Flotus was called the closer in the 2008 campaign. Yeah. And there you have it. Uh, the impact at the DNC. Uh, I mean, the, the, the rave reviews continue on and on and on. A first lady making an influence uh, on this nation. Uh, essentially, after Michelle Obama's husband's political role pushed the Obama family into the spotlight, Michelle Obama was publicly recognized for her no-nonsense campaign style as well as her sense of fashion. In May 2006, Michelle was featured in Essence magazine as one of the 25, uh, 20, 25 of the world's most inspiring women. Uh, in September 2007, Michelle was uh, included in 02138 Magazine as number 58 in the Harvard 100, a yearly list of the school's most influential alumni. She has also, uh, has also twice appeared on the cover of Vogue and made the Vanity Fair Best Dressed List two years in a row, as well as People's Magazine 2008 Best Dressed List. Uh, during the inauguration ceremony for her husband's second term on January 21st, 2013, Michelle and her daughters received a lot of attention for their fashion choices, which included clothes from Tom Browning, J. Crew, and Kate Spade. Michelle received much praise for the red Jason Wu dress she wore during the subsequent events. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, you see out there on Twitter, uh, Facebook, YouTube, what's trending? Michelle Obama has constantly been trending. And uh, I guess, man, when you, again, when you talk about it, these, this is not no small thing. Uh, the accomplishments, the example, all of the things involved with being first lady, being that example, this is a lot of work. William, your thoughts? Well, you know, we've talked, we've just scratched the surface of it. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, her, her reaching out to children, the, prod, the, the works and initiatives that she has going. 
it's amazing. One of the things I, I, I was just sitting here looking at was, you know, what she's done abroad. Um, one of the things that just stood out to me was the mass abduction in Nigeria that happened May of 2014. And she came out on social media with the sign that simply said, bring back our girls. But the statement that she said actually here that was really amazing, well, and I guess it was, it was heartfelt. Let me say it that way. It was from a mother. Uh, it says President Barack Obama's wife, Michelle, says she and her husband are, are outraged over the April 14th kidnapping of more than 300 schoolgirls in Nigeria. And so they went on, but she said here in this quote, she said, in these girls, Barack and I see our own daughters. She said, we see their hopes, their dreams, and we can only imagine the anguish that parents are feeling right now. And I mean, she came out, and it's just a powerful picture. Most of us have seen this picture, but it's just her sitting there with this look saying, bring back these girls. And, and, and so, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that she's done here on the home front. But when you talk about now reaching out as a mother saying, listen, these 276 children, these girls, Boko Haram was going to sell them off, you know, sell them as slaves. Right. And it's like, listen, right. you know, I have a right to speak. And I mean, so you look at this. She, I mean, this is a extremely powerful woman. A lot of influence. No, absolutely. No, I'm sorry. Go Wait, ahead. Let me no, cut go you ahead. off. Uh, when, when, whenever Michelle talks about her daughters, you can see that she is trying to raise them in the most normal way possible to help keep them grounded. She also seems like she would be a great friend to have. And not just because we could uh, go to cool places. At the National Mentoring Summit in 2011, she said, we should always have three friends in our lives. One who walks ahead, who we look up to to follow. One who walks beside us, who is with us every step of our journey. And then one who we reach back for and bring along after we've cleared the way. Dennis, when you hear, man, that is profound as it gets. How awesome is that? It's, it's just tremendous. I mean, again, we've, we, we haven't touched uh, the surface of what our First Lady has uh, accomplished and has given to this country. But I tell you, it's, it's just so awesome to hear the, 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 her words. Her, I mean, she's, she's, an awesome, she's an awesome speaker, as, as her husband is. But I tell you, she's truly compassionate. And she's truly about the people. I tell you, when you take a president and you give him a, a right a right hand man, as we say, as as our first lady, a right hand woman, right right hand woman. I'm right. sorry, <laughs> but uh, you can't go wrong. I mean, you cannot go wrong because whatever you're doing, she's backing you. Plus, she's out there making some things I mean, happen. I mean, I mean, it's just awesome. Look at that, Dennis. And this is the statement: one who will reach back. How many people reach back after they've made it Right. to say, no, I need to reach back because I'll take the grunt and the pain of clearing the path. See, nobody's understanding that. Think about the power of that statement. One who is willing to reach back and bring someone after we have cleared come the on, way come on. to make it a little easy. What? Awesome. But see, that, that, that is the power. I mean, when you, when you look at that, you really say, I've braved. And I've dealt with these challenges. You can too. Come on, let me show you how but it's let done. Me, let me get it. Let me get. Let me clear the way. Let I, me take the trouble. Yes, yes. And make it easy for you, Cliff. When you hear that, man, I'll tell you what. We said once. We'll say it again. The bar tonight is raised even a, a not a little bit higher. It's lifted quite a bit tonight. Absolutely. 
when you look at all the things that Michelle Obama has accomplished, you look at, uh, you know, not only, like you said, trends on social media, she, uh, she's for the children, she's for the military, but she has used her influence to not only go out and do these things for these different groups of people, but she, she moves the market. I mean, and when I say that, I mean, she causes corporations to move. She goes in and she says, hey, I'm going to use my position as the first lady, not only just get on television and say, you know, I have this prim and proper, uh, you know, demeanor about me. But when you, you, you know, you go back to what she's done with the kids with this Let's Move uh, initiative. Doing that, she has caused Walgreens, Super Value, and Walmart and several regional grocers um, announce a commitment to build or expand 1,500 stores in communities with limited or no access to healthy food. I mean, that's one of the biggest issues with health is that you have these communities that they don't have a store that has fresh produce. They'll have a 7-Eleven or they'll have, you know, uh, in, in, uh, in, you know, basically in, in impoverished neighborhoods, uh, you know, in some of the under, uh, you know, served neighborhoods, you'll have fast food, you have McDonald's, Burger King, anything where you can, you basically got a dollar menu. These stores that we're going to build 1,500 stores with communities of low, with limited or no access to healthy food. This initiative created thousands of local jobs and provided access to fresh food to an estimated nine and a half million people who currently had limited access. And in California alone, this initiative called the Fresh Works Fund committed $200 million to this effort to increase access to healthy food. That is no small undertaking. When you think of you think of these uh, grocery giants like you know like Walmart and Walgreens that everywhere you know everywhere they go it, it it's been said that you know they kind of they kind of move things aside to make room for themselves. But for them to commit to say that not when we come in we will ensure that we will have a fresh produce section when we come to these underserved uh, communities. So you're talking about nine and a half, almost ten million people that now have access to fresh groceries. Instead of saying, okay, well, I can have a, a, a fast food meal off the dollar menu, which in most situations is not that healthy. So she's taking this initiative to say, when I leave, when I'm no longer the first lady, I'll be able to look back and say, you know, I'm proud, I'm happy, I'm very satisfied with the things that I accomplished for my nation as the first lady of these United States of America. Well, and it goes here further to say, folks, Michelle Obama is in the Guinness World Record uh, book. Uh, Michelle Obama has earned her family another place in history. This time, Ms. Obama will share the honor with more than 300,000 other participants on Sunday who set the record for most people doing jumping jacks in a 24-hour period. The previous world record was 20,000. Did you hear that number? <laughs> from 20 to 300,000. In a video from the White House, Ms. Obama thanked National Geographic kids and the Guinness Book of World Records who helped organize the event as part of Obama's Let's Move initiative to promote physical fitness and healthy eating for children. She also said she hopes that physical fitness will be a priority for kids who participated. But check this out. The First Lady Michelle Obama recently launched an initiative called Let Girls Learn. With incredible goals in mind, with Let Girls Learn as her vehicle, Ms. Obama hopes to put those 62 million girls in school by means of funding education projects such as scholarships, safe transportation, suitable bathrooms, so girls don't have to stay home uh, during their, their, their monthly cycle. Uh, Ms. Obama lays out all of her ideas in an article she wrote recently to The Atlantic. 
The first lady goes on to spell out that these actions of education funding only go as far as that specific society's culture will let in. Ms. Obama makes a point in saying that while the funding of these projects are absolutely necessary to solve our girls' education problem, they are simply not sufficient. In order for the safe transportation to avoid sexual assault to work, there needs to be an idea that the rape of these young girls is not acceptable in order to get the remodeled bathrooms to function for their purpose. That's taking on a cause that is critical. Let's hear right now how the evolution of Michelle Obama started. The next president of the United States, Barack Obama. Long months on the road have turned Michelle Obama into a polished advocate, but that wasn't always the case. I'm doing this because my husband's running for president of the United States. Go figure. In fact, she was originally hesitant to give her husband's candidacy a thumbs up, fearing for his safety and the impact on their two daughters. Family is first for us, and it will always be that way. But Obama now says his wife is his top campaigner. In fact, she's been given a nickname, The Closer. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I know my husband. But her directness has drawn criticism that at times she has humanized him too much, once calling him snorry and stinky. He's a wonderful man. He's a gifted man. But in the end, he's just a man. The Obamas were married in 1992 by the now controversial minister, Jeremiah Wright. Sixteen years later, by all accounts, their marriage is strong. I want to publicly proclaim my love and adoration for my wife, Michelle Obama. They met in Chicago, working for the same law firm. He was biracial. He had this funny name. She says she liked him right away, but really fell for him when she saw his work as a community organizer. People connected with his message. Uh, And I knew then and there, there's something different about this guy. What's up? She's currently on leave from her job as a hospital executive, trading that in for now for life under the microscope. Her every move is scrutinized. Her mannerisms, her clothes, and her pearls. And not everyone likes what they see. This comment in particular got her into some hot water. For the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. I'm proud of my country. I don't know about you if you heard those words earlier. I'm very proud of my country. Michelle says she was misunderstood. Of course I'm proud of my country. Um, Nowhere but in America could my story be possible. Born to a working class family on Chicago's south side, her father worked for the city's water authority and was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at 30. This is a man who used to swim and box and run, served in the military, one day woke up, couldn't walk. Despite his disability, he went to work every day. And though he and his wife never went to college, sent both of their kids to Princeton. Michelle went on to Harvard Law School. My challenges are much more public, uh, but they're the same uh, as most women. And we need to figure this out. And how do we define roles for ourselves as women that are healthy and balanced and make sense? Helping others balance work and family, she says, will be one of her priorities as first lady. But for now, her role is chief cheerleader and defender of her husband. One hint of what kind of first lady she'll be, she played a vocal role in the vice presidential selection process. According to all those who know her well, Michelle Obama has a mind of her own and isn't afraid to tell people what she thinks. 
Tonight, Michelle Obama makes her official entrance onto the national stage as one of two women likely to be next First Lady of the United States. CBS News Chief Political Correspondent Jeff Greenfield reports. She has been smiling out on America for months, on her own, and with her husband and their two girls, on magazine covers, and on television shows where hot-button issues often take second place to less cosmic concerns. I stopped yeah. wearing pantyhose a long time ago because it was painful. Yeah. But as she prepares for her convention speech tonight, Michelle Obama knows that she will be under a heightened level of scrutiny as millions of Americans look at her with the knowledge that she is one of two women, a candidate of sorts, whose words, dress, and demeanor have already been the subject of intense scrutiny. What did she mean when she said... For the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. Can a healthcare executive with an Ivy League degree, a mid-six-figure income, and a seven-figure home relate to the average American? But wait a minute. Why should this matter at all? Why should voters care at all about the president's spouse? Well, the fact is they always have. Time Magazine's Joe Klein. Who she is is, a, is the most intimate reflection of who he is. So Mary Todd Lincoln was attacked in the press for her expensive tastes and her Confederate relatives. When President Rutherford Hayes' wife, Lucy, banned liquor from the White House in the late 19th century, she was dubbed Lemonade Lucy. Eleanor Roosevelt's frequent field trips to the forgotten corners of America and her lobbying for liberal causes earned her affection on the left and fierce enmity from the right. Nancy Reagan was criticized for everything from her taste in China to the use of astrologers to help plan her husband's schedule. And Hillary Clinton's role as a key policy advisor to her husband made her something of a lightning rod. But Michelle Obama faces a special test. Because her husband is still relatively unknown to millions of voters, she must make the case that she and her husband share America's concerns and shares their values. That process begins tonight. Jeff Greenfield, CBS News, at the Democratic Convention in Denver. And there you have it. Wow, man. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen of America, Michelle Obama, First Lady of the United States. You know, there's a part of me that's a little sad uh, as they end their time uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, They will be missed without question. And Michelle Obama, I believe, with her passion, will continue this fight for families, for everything within her power. She's established now, and her words will go a long, long way. A very special thanks uh, to Michelle Obama for giving us material tonight that has been so overwhelmingly exciting and joyful. And optimistic, since brings an optimistic spirit, more people in the country and the world like Michelle Obama would make a difference. We salute you tonight, First Lady Michelle Obama. Right now, we turn our attention to what you didn't know about the IRP-6. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Sarrigan about the IRP-6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Binks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. 
my business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper. And I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. think that business is a game and what we have learned is that business actually is war when they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff sometimes they didn't want to do it it's strange to me. i think it's still strange it absolutely makes no sense is this really real is this happening and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news 
every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. What you didn't know about the IRP-6. Who are these six men? Patriots of America, we have deemed them to be heroes. Who are they? Dave Zappolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Tonight, as the nation is in disarray for violence, for injustice, we understand tonight that the software developed by the IRP-6 actually has a module that deals with crime scene investigations. At this point in our nation, it is critical. William, tell us a little bit about it. Well, we've talked a lot about you know, the capabilities of the software. There's a lot of modules. One of the modules here, the crime scene management, allows police officers to actually, once they approach a crime scene, to take inventory, photos, identify you know, bits and pieces of information that helps them re-illustrate or reconstruct the crime scene. So all these pieces become cataloged in the application. So think about it like this. If you think about weapons that could be used, calibers, you know, makes and models, serial numbers that could be matched around to other cases, all these things become critical as they're, as they're reconstructing a crime scene and how that crime scene may relate to others. The first thing that wow. they would realize is say, okay, well, this looks like the same motive. You know, for robbery or something like that, or a homicide. But, but let's just say outside of, out of, look at the pattern with police officer killing. Yes. yes. This is this is the big picture now that when the they come on the TV saying we're investigating, this software will begin. Are you telling me it begins to recreate the crime? Well, actually, it starts to put together all the pieces. See, because a wow. lot of the things that we're seeing is that all of a sudden, you know, this was evidence lost, or this was hid in a locker or hid in a drawer. No. This is actually cataloged there at the scene. Wow. So you get photos. You get identification. People can actually look at their computer, bring up Silk, and say, okay, this, this is the photo of the crime scene. These are the bits and pieces. Gunshots. Books. Wow. Casing. Glass. This is the vehicle. See? So all these things, you, awesome. start, you start painting these pictures now, and it's in a one central location that everybody can see. So now, just because, I mean, we've seen this. We've seen manipulation of cases. We've seen hidden evidence. But now it's consolidated in one system. Oh, wow. People can see this. This is, this is critical, William, because if that software breaks it down on that level, how many answers do victims, protesters, 
and America as a whole, and police departments begin to say this is a pattern with police officers and can begin to solve the, solve the problems, but also hold those accountable that they can't get away from. Yeah, because right now, I mean, we're, we're really relying on video evidence. I mean, we're, if it wasn't for the cell phones now, we wouldn't see the things that we're seeing now. But think about it like this. Think about the case. When it, it rolled this information up to the lawyer, to the prosecutor that is putting this together, see, all this stuff now works across our branches of our judicial system. It goes from the local law enforcement to the attorneys that are going to prosecute the case. Wow. It, so now evidence is not going to be lost. That's awesome. You, you know what I'm saying? And listen, it's tracked. Listen, we're going to definitely pick this up on the next uh, AJC Radio broadcast, William, as we get into more detail, as this information is critical. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special thanks to Michelle Obama. Uh, the opportunity to honor her tonight has been overwhelmingly exciting, and we've had a good time with it. I'm Lamont Banks with, uh, excuse me, I'm Lamont Banks, along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team. You want to say good night, America. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next time. Good night. And we need someone, not with good judgment, but with superb judgment in their own right. Because the president can hire the best advisors on earth, but let me tell you, five advisors will give five different opinions. And the president and the president alone is always the one to make the final call. Believe me. We also need someone who is steady and measured. Because when you're making life or death, war or peace decisions, a president can't just pop off. Finally, we need someone who's compassionate, someone who's unifying, someone who will be a role model for our kids who's not just in this for themselves, but for the good of this country. See, at the end of the day, as I said before, the presidency doesn't change who you are, it reveals who you are. And the same thing is true of a presidential campaign. So if a candidate is erratic and threatening, if a candidate traffics in prejudice, fears, and lies on the trail, if a candidate has no clear plans to implement their goals, if they disrespect their fellow citizens, including folks who make extraordinary sacrifices for our country, let me tell you, that is who they are. That is the kind of president they will be, trust me. A candidate is not gonna suddenly change once they get in the office. Just the opposite, in fact, because the minute that individual takes that oath, they are under the hottest, harshest light there is. And there is no way to hide who they really are. And at that point, it's too late. They're the leader of the world's largest economy, the commander-in-chief of the most powerful military force on Earth. 